when I go to the doctor, I, I don't really expect more than whatever they're there to do. I also truly feel like she saved my life. This is Dr. Patient, a podcast that examines all the aspects of the patient-provider relationship. I'm your host, Heather Johnston, MD, a doctor, but also, like everyone else, a patient. Doctors are typically pretty overworked and have very little free time during their day. That's why the stories you'll hear today are even more endearing and meaningful. You'll hear about doctors that went above and beyond the expectation of care. Justine from New York has had two incredible and lucky encounters with doctors over the years. Earlier in her life, she was living in Chicago. I was in my third year of law school, and I had, you know, scheduled somewhat absentmindedly just a regular OB um, checkup appointment, and it was squarely in the middle of my finals. And it was a new doctor, and I spent a whole lot of time trying to get the appointment when it was scheduled months prior, and I, I couldn't change it. And the minute I walked into her office, and again, I'd never met this doctor before, she said, what's that on your neck? And I said, you know, it's my collarbone, I guess. I mean, and she said, you know what? You're the perfect age for Hodgkin's and I need you to get that checked out. Okay. I have to say here, remember, she's seeing a gynecologist. I'm not going to get graphic or anything, but I do want to point out that her doctor is commenting on a part of the body that she's not usually responsible for. And I said, oh, okay, you know, I need to focus on my finals and, you know, that's it. And so anyway, she did the rest of the exam and I went right back to the library after. Um, and this was, you know, the time when you actually called your messages, um, you know, and your answering machine at home, <laughs> which, yes, I'm dating myself, uh, clearly. And that evening when I called to check my messages, there was a message from this doctor saying, I made an appointment for you tomorrow with, you know, an ENT gave me the information and she said, you have to, you have to go. The fact that she acted in that way and made the effort to make the appointment and everything else just made me realize, you know, this, this is something that, that is serious and timely and you can't just wait until after finals or whatever was, I mean, that was the only thing I could think about in that moment. I also truly feel like she saved my life. As it turns out, Justine was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of blood cancer. She was in stage three out of four at the time that she presented, meaning if it had gone for too much longer, she really could have been in trouble. Justine, do you feel like that changed your relationship with other doctors that you see? I do, because I, I think I'm, I'm the kind of person that doesn't generally expect people to treat me like I'm special. Um, you know, and, and so when I go to the doctor, I, I don't really expect more than whatever they're there to do. I think it changed how I, it changed 
in terms of what I expected or what I wanted to expect from doctors. Let's talk about expectations for a minute. Justine was pleasantly surprised because she didn't expect her doctor to go so far in their efforts. So I'd like to ask, what do we expect from our doctors? I've had different patients feel both happy with me or frustrated with me for doing the exact same thing for both of them. And I guess each of us have to think about this for ourselves. Personally, I don't think it's too much to expect focused care, communication, trust, access, respect, empathy, and a good listener. Also, I like hugs, but if I get one of those, it's just gravy. My husband, when I asked him what he expected, said three things. A hands-on physical exam. Obviously, I've taught him well. Second, he said, ask me something about my personal life. Don't only engage in the physical part. And third was, return my calls. (laughs) Getting back to Justine, she had another exceptional experience while living in New York and pregnant. I got pregnant and was due in March 2020, (laughs) Um, which is now, you know, laughable. And this doctor that I'd been seeing for 20 years uh, was taking a different position in the hospital and told me that she could no longer see me um, and that she also wouldn't be able to deliver the baby. Okay, this is already a tough blow to not have the doctor that you've spent years building a relationship with be leaving at just that time. But on top of it, we're talking March 2020, the early stage of the pandemic. We had the the date scheduled and it unfortunately fell on the week that New York hospitals banned anyone from the hospital. My mom and my sister, who are both in Chicago, were supposed to come to New York. You know, then, of course, they couldn't come for uh, the birth, which was just heartbreaking. And, you know, of course, I wanted my mom to be here, um, not only for that, but, you know, she was going to help us for a couple of weeks and Justine found another doctor to take over and really liked her, but then... Because of COVID, the hospital was only having doctors deliver on certain days. And so she wasn't going to be there the day that I was going to have the baby. I thought, okay, well, I think I can manage that. And then, you know, she called and said, I think they're coming up with a policy that you're actually going to have to be there by yourself. She said, you know, look, this is really, really rotten and I am so sorry. And I am not supposed to be there on Thursday, but I am 100% not going to let you um, be in a room full of strangers when you bring your baby into this world. That is totally unacceptable. And I will do whatever I need to do in order to be there. And she was there and it was it was a room full of strangers. Um, and of course, not having my husband there was really sad and devastating and something that I'll never sort of get over in a way. But um, the fact that she was there and what meant the world to me. So Justine gets through the doctor switch and comes to terms best she can with the news that none of her family, including her husband, can be at the delivery of her first child. And then, Zoom. 
we were sitting there trying to set up the Zoom with my husband <laughs> at home. I had never done a Zoom call. I wasn't exactly sure what it was, which seems preposterous um, now, but they had also never done one in a delivery room. So she, you know, so we were all kind of scrambling and they wound up, they had an iPad, but it was, uh, you know, one of those IV rolly carts or whatever. Um, so they were able to set it up on that and just pulled it, you know, so that it was right next to me. Um, and, and I will say, I mean, I'm hesitant to say this because of course, nothing would match having my husband there in the room with me, but there was something incredibly comforting about seeing my living room while I was in surgery. So maybe not for <laughs> childbirth, but you know, if, for other surgeries, if you're awake or something, I don't know, there was something really nice about seeing my husband in my, lab- in my living room because, you know, the hospital room itself is so sterile. And Everything ended well for Justine in the delivery room, and she got very familiar with Zoom over the last couple of years. My next guest is Bonnie from Maryland. She tells her story of getting diagnosed with an incredibly rare disease and about the doctor that stuck with her through it all. Probably about seven or eight years ago, I started noticing that I was really short of breath and I have a really vivid, it's one of those memories that is really ingrained in my head because I was walking around a lake with a girlfriend and it was a pretty flat area, right? Obviously around a lake. And I'm thinking, wow, I am like really out of shape. What the heck is going on with me? And so that started me on this journey of trying to talk to various doctors and figure out what was going on. Um, Cause I quickly realized this is not just me needing to up my exercise or do it more, do more every day. This is, there's something else going on. So, you know, I went through the whole gamut though. I went to a general practitioner Um, who then sent me to pulmonology. Um, The pulmonologist went through an entire rundown of all the normal pulmonary function tests, um, including like x-rays and CT scans and um, putting you into one of those pulmonary boxes where you're breathing through the tube. Um, He found nothing. I mean, the good news was I was, he felt like my lungs were actually in really good shape. So then he sent me to an allergist who said I was fine there pulmonologist then sent me to a cardiologist (laughs) um, who sent me through the normal cardiology things, echocardiogram, you know, stress tests. I even went through a right heart catheterization. Um, The good news is my heart was in really good shape. Um, So then pulmonology sent me to a rheumatologist, which rheumatology, I guess, is, you know, one of those doctors that when you can't figure out what's going on, maybe it's (laughs) autoimmune. Um, so they, he did a complete workup on me and, and again, good news again, I'm fine. Right. And so the, the wonderful news was I was perfectly healthy in every test. The bad news is no one can figure out what's going on. Um, and as you probably realize, anytime you're seeing a specialist, it takes several months to get in and then there's follow-up and then there's tests. And so mm-hmm. literally this took years to get through all of these different doctors, um, and still no one can figure out what's going on. Um, at one point, I know one of the doctors said something to me about, asked me if I was stressed. Well, 
I mean, you and I've talked about this. I'm a working mom of three kids, one of whom has a chronic illness. Yes. Is every working mom stressed? Right. And oh, by the way, I still can't breathe. Right. So I'm still really short of breath at this point. Um, And at this point, it's getting to the point where I'm literally mindful of every step I take and I walk slowly everywhere. I cannot, can no longer walk up a flight of steps. And, and when I say I can't walk up a flight of steps, it's not just a, it's not just a, I'm a little bit out of breath at the top. I, I literally have to stop at the top of the steps and, and stand there for a few minutes. How Um, much time had passed between when you first noticed it and what you're describing now after some appointments, how much time was that? Probably about three years, three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, making the bed impossible, vacuuming, not happening, right? Like regular household chores, walking down to get the mail. We live kind of in the country a little bit. So we've got a long driveway. I cannot, I can no longer walk to go get the mail. I am just constantly wheezing, constantly coughing. And all that's just really making me exhausted. Finally, Bonnie sees an ENT, an ear, nose, and throat doctor, and has a scan of her upper airway. She's waiting to hear the results when she wakes up in the middle of the night, almost completely unable to breathe. Her husband takes her to the emergency room, and there she finally gets a diagnosis. I walk in. I didn't even sit down. I was immediately taken to a room, and within an hour, they were like, you're not leaving you actually have what's called idiopathic subglottic stenosis. You need to have emergency surgery. And they were kind of laughing at me because I was almost giddy. They're like, we just told you you have emergency surgery and you have a life-threatening condition. Why are you smiling? I'm like, because finally I have an answer. I finally, after years and years, for unknown reasons, I had actually scar tissue that was building up in my airway. Um, and that's why I couldn't breathe. A normal woman, I, my understanding is that a normal woman um, has about 15 millimeter airway. Um, and I was about 90% closed. So mine was about, you know, what is that one 10% open? Wow. It's amazing you were millimeter. able to walk around in your day and function. I mean, you weren't that's, completely functioning as you're right. describing, but at the same time, were you working and being a mom and doing all those other things with 90% yes. of your airway yes. blocked? Yes. Yep. Wow. Bonnie, was there one doctor through the whole thing that was sort of coordinating the different appointments and specialists or no? Probably more me, but my pulmonol that one pulmonologist that I was going to, he was he tried so hard to help me figure out what was going on. And he was just stumped Mm -hmm. um, because this is a very rare condition. Um, So he, I would go back to him and I would say, okay, this is, you know, this is what cardiology said. What do I do now? This is what the allergist said. What do I do now? And he kept trying to figure out where I should go next. He, He was like, I know it's not me, but come back to me and I'll help you figure out what we should go, where you should go next. That alone is also pretty uncommon. Usually, if it's if it's not you, you're you're passing passing the baton really to the next person. Yes. And yes. how about your internist? You mentioned at the beginning of the story that that was the first person you called, and did that person stay involved or no? So not in the day to day things. No, I mean I would just you know when I do my annual physical, I would just say yeah I'm still looking into it. Yeah I'm still not feeling well. Um, the interesting thing is. I mean, she's probably, my internist is probably getting close to retirement, um, but she 
said to me after my surgery, she said, I just looked at the surgical notes. I've never heard of this. Teach me about it. And she said, in all my 40 years of, of wow. medical experience, I, I don't have a single patient with this. And she said, talk to me about, and so at, to her credit, she's, you know, she isn't, she's a generalist, right? Like she's not supposed to be <laughs> experienced in these weird, unusual, rare conditions. Um, and to her credit, she really wanted to learn and listen. And, and she's like, I don't know that I'll see another one before I retire, but if I, if she does, she now has some experience and understanding of what I went through. That's a good sign circling yeah. back and trying to understand it. Oh, you definitely. In an earlier conversation that we had that you don't blame anyone from early on because it's hard to know everything about the human body. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think in the beginning, um, it was hard for anybody to hear. I could sense it and I could feel it, but it wasn't something necessarily super measurable. And so I think that's part, part of what was going on. It wasn't for a long time. It was just me saying it. And, it, and even I think my friends and family were like thinking in their heads, well, just exercise a little more. Maybe you won't be out of breath, you know, <laughs> um, but it, it's also a rare condition and the body is incredibly complex. And I, I know at one point I was told how many bazillions of rare conditions exist in the world. There's a lot of them. And so how can anyone really understand and know the million and one ways things can go a little bit off track on your body? Um, so I don't, I don't blame anybody and I really appreciate, you know, the general practitioner and actually the pulmonologist called me after he got a report of my surgery. Um, and he was so excited that I had finally gotten an answer and he had never heard of this either. And he had, he was like, I just want to let you know, I did my own research that way. If another pulmonology patient comes in and I can't figure this out, I will, you know, I know what to do next time. So I really appreciated that about, about all of these doctors being willing to learn and continue their education with what was going on. Yeah. It sounds like you were really lucky to have a relationship with somebody who was willing to say, I don't know, mm -hmm. say it's not my problem for lack of a better term, but I'm going to stick with you. Right. And I'm going to follow up and learn myself about it. You're really yeah. lucky to have someone like that. I mean, what would someone do who doesn't have an in with somebody, you know, or someone that they feel comfortable calling about? How do you manage knowing that there's something wrong with you realizing that people have tried but have now given up to figure it out you know what are the steps to take i think if you are not, if you're at a doctor who's not taking you seriously move on to you know find another one look ask around for for your friends or for other doctors to recommend a good whoever pulmonologist cardiologist right they who would you go to doctor if this was your wife or your husband or your child, <laughs> who would you send me to? Right. And that's, they, yeah. they know more than anybody else. I think who, who the good ones are. I think that's always a great question to ask. Actually. I've asked that question many times. If this was your wife, who would you have her see? Or yeah. your husband, who would you have him see? I love yeah. that question of doctors. People have asked yeah. me that. I used to be a pediatrician, I'm practicing pediatrician. Who would you see now that my kid is older and needs an adult doctor? Who would you send your kids to? Mm -hmm. And that's, it is valuable. You know who you're around. 
But yeah. it really, it what really struck me about your story and what got me thinking, you know, in my head and about my life and about listeners' lives is it really comes down to the relationship. Because mm-hmm. if you have somebody that you feel, first of all, that you can pick up the phone and call, lots of people don't feel comfortable doing that. Secondly, if you have someone who knows you, so they understand that you're not histrionic or faking it or a complainer. And thirdly, someone who will do the work of follow-up. And uh, the question is, how do you get that kind of relationship with somebody? Do you feel like you have that with your internist? Um, Probably at this point. I mean, I've been going to her for about 10 years um, or so. And so I think anytime you can find a, a doctor that is good, who you can relate to, stick with them, right? Don't, don't jump. Sometimes I think we choose convenience over relationship because we're all busy. Um, we're all, we all have too much to do. And so I'd rather go to another doctor in the same practice who has a better time for me this year and not worry about seeing my person. Well, that's more convenient for me, but then it's not the same person seeing me year after year. That's Um, a great point. And it really illustrates that the responsibility to keep that relationship up is on both sides. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people um, uh, don't have, you know, have access problems, like they can't get in. And on one hand, it's the doctor's job to make themselves available to their patients in timely ways. But it is, yeah, there's a little relation, there's a little responsibility on the patient end to stick with somebody that's made that effort for you. Uh, yeah, I would agree. And I would also say, um, you know, I think the doctors, the, the pulmonologist, for example, he didn't know me until I walked in the door that one day, yeah. but I came to him prepared. Right. And so I find that a lot of my friends, when they go to the doctor and I, and I've watched now that my, I've, I have two boys that are about to turn 20. I have twins that are about to turn 20. And so now they've reached that magical 18 year old threshold and they're supposed to be going to the doctors on their own and they don't know how to communicate. Right. And so they, if, if you just sit there and say, I'm short of breath, that means a whole range of things to people, right? And so describing, I am short of breath. And what I mean by that is I can't go up a flight of steps. I do, you know, like giving examples and telling it's all the time. It's not just when I'm having a rough day. It's not just after I've eaten a a big meal, right? Like being really specific, I think in the communication, I think, I mean, you tell me from a doctor's perspective, I think that helps you guys Absolutely. as doctors to, to get a vision of what I'm saying. And therefore it's, you can sit there and say, okay, well then click off, check off. That's not mental health. That's not, you know, reflux. That's not whatever, right. That's something else that's going on. And I think knowing your body being very specific with what you're saying. Um, I also started to write stuff down because years went, went by and I started to lose track in my head of which test did I just do? Right. What did, what did the other doctor do? What was the blood work that was run? And so I literally kept a folder that I brought with me everywhere that had my, my CD of my CT scan, my results from my blood work, my pieces of paper of what the, what the various doctors did so that we weren't starting over from scratch either. So I could sit down with the doctor, the new doctor, the rheumatologist or the, or the allergist or whoever I was seeing, this is what we've done this is what's come of this. Now, where do we go from here? 
So I think there's some advocating that you have to do for yourself. I agree with that. I think that's great. Uh, I've actually had a ton of health problems myself. And just a couple of years ago, I actually just wrote on a Word document my own past medical history so I could just list everything in one place so I didn't have to say it every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I hate filling those forms out, you know, time after time after time with different specialists and you're in the same system thinking, why do I have to fill this form out again? It's right, right there. And I just filled right. it out last year. So now I just bring my own with me and I, I actually am sort of a trouble patient, I guess. I refuse to <laughs> fill out the forms. I just say, no, I brought my own. Thank you. And I hand it yes. in and then everything's on there that they need. I don't have to talk at all, talk about every single detail, but I think preparing for visits is important. Coming mm-hmm. with a list of questions, coming with notes about concerns that you have. I think that's great advice. Check out the short take called How to Be a Patient for more tips on how to get the most out of your visit with your healthcare provider. Thanks for listening today. To catch up on more episodes and to get new ones delivered directly to you, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an episode, let me know at www.drpatientpodcast.com. That's drpatientpodcast.com. Here's the disclaimer. Even though I am a doctor, I'm not your doctor. These stories, my comments, and all discussion is purely reflection about what is working in the healthcare system and what isn't. Don't use any medical information that you hear in these episodes to diagnose or treat yourself. If you have a question about your health, get in touch with your doctor or local health clinic.